Amen. Very good. We'll turn to Hebrews in the chapter 10 this evening. The book of Hebrews in the chapter 10. And we're continuing our thoughts that we've been looking at the last number of Sunday mornings. We bring it into the Wednesday evening just uh, for this week only, for we plan to conclude it on this Sunday coming, this little series that we've begun in the first part of this chapter. We're ending our series really at the verse 25. We're not going to deal with the second part of the chapter, which deals with the apostasy of believers, but nevertheless, we're going to end our study at the verse 25. And so let's read together from the verse 19, Hebrews chapter 10 and the verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Now, as we began this series, remember we said that this is a study in which we embark upon with the intention that we all foster and indeed increase a better understanding of God in our lives. This is all with the aim to cultivate a right view of God that you and I should have even as we live and labor for him in these days. And it's my prayer that as we've made our way through this study, the last three Sundays as we continue tonight and then uh, completed in the will of God this Sunday coming, that that is exactly what God's word is doing in your heart and in mine. As we began this series, we said, of course, that a right view of God begins with a proper understanding of what God has done in Christ for us. That then, in turn, produces the positive actions in us. The first of those is seen in verse 22, us drawing near with a true heart and indeed uh, uh, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That is the positive action of drawing near to God. Answering that exhortation of God's word, draw nigh unto me, I will draw nigh unto, the, unto you. And then, of, of course, it continues then with the positive action of holding fast and without wavering the profession of our faith. And rightly, of course, we can also say it's that hope, holding fast, that word of hope for true faith produces real hope in the life of a believer. And that is where we ended our study on Sunday past. And so we come to this third positive action, that understanding what God has done in Christ for us will produce in the heart of every true believer. And what is it? Verse 24, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. And so this third positive action that is found in the life of a believer as they have that right understanding of what God has done for us in Christ, that right view of God existent and resplendent in, the, in their daily walk with Christ, then this third positive action is seen in considering one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Now, it's worth noting here, of course, that we are confronted with the reality of the three-dimensional aspect of the Christian life. It's something we've looked at before, but we'll mention it again for clarity's sake. For the Christian life is, of course, characterized by the upward view, the inward view, and the outward view. 
And as we've come to this study, as we've entered into these three exhortations that are given to us by the writer of the Hebrews here, then we see that the upward view or the Godward view is seen in that first exhortation that we considered, that drawing near to God so that we might know and indeed experience His moving, His working and convicting in our lives. And then, of course, as we come to the inward view, that is what you and I must ensure is found resplendent in our lives, found existent in our daily practice. It is that what we can, verse 23, that which we considered on Sunday past, that holding fast the profession of our faith, the profession of our hope, for he is faithful that promised. And therefore, we come to the outward view. And that is found for us tonight then, in our study as we come to verse 24, that provoking one another uh, unto good works. And so to repeat the emphasis that God's Word is placing here, the view that others should have of you and me, the view that they should have of our Christianity as we express it in the world in which we live, is a life that is spent seeking to get the very best out of one another. Speaking good about one another, And where hard and indeed difficult things need to be said, then they are said with an attitude and a spirit of love and consideration one to another, seeking the very best interests of others at the very heart of all that is said. So as we come to consider this tonight, verse 24, provoking, uh, or sorry, considering one another, provoking one another then unto love and to good works, this is no doubt about it, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where the expression, the true expression of our right understanding of God, our right view of God is clearly demonstrated and clearly viewed by all who behold. For everything that we profess, everything that we know to be true about our relationship with God, this, as we come to it tonight, is the single most difficult task that we as believers are called to fulfill. This is the single most difficult task that we as believers are called to fulfill. But remember, we don't do it alone. But rather, we embark in this most difficult of tasks, that of loving one another and being Christ-like in our dealings one with another with the ability to draw upon the never-ending reservoir of the grace and the strength of an almighty God. And so let us enter into this study tonight with confidence and with assurance that God is the one not only who commands us, but indeed enables us to see its fulfillment. And so let us consider uh, verse 24 this evening, and let us notice, first of all, the simple truth that is expounded, the simple truth that is expounded. He begins by using a phrase, of course, that we've already noted in our studies. We've already looked at in the other two verses, but it's worth noting again, let us. This is to remind us that we are not alone. That when it comes to living the Christian life, when it comes to being part of the family of God, then is exactly right way to describe it, for we are part of a larger family. And the way that we act, and the way that we behave, and the way that indeed we interact one with another impacts impacts and affects many others. 
And so as we come together in our local settings, participate in the life and ministry of fellowships just like ours here, we must realize that what we do individually affects everybody else. It's true in the home, is it not? We have that saying, it's well rehearsed, but it's true nonetheless, if mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. But we all know if perhaps a a leader or an adult in the home is out of sorts, under pressure, angry, frustrated, living a life that is not exemplary in every way, then that affects everybody else in that home. We also know it in a more sensitive way, do we not, when perhaps a family member is undergoing sickness, hardship, they know illness, they know pressure, they know stress, then that too affects everybody else in that family unit and begins to have even an effect on the day-to-day life of that family unit. It's true in the workplace. If you come into work and your boss is perhaps uh, one of those moods that he's unworkable with, he's uh, just belligerent in his dealings with other employees, then that begins to affect the morale, the productivity of the team that he or she leads. And then also we see it, of course, if the employee is out of sorts, if they're hard to get along with, if they're hard uh, to encourage or indeed uh, uh, motivate, then that too begins to affect other people around them. And so if it's true in the home, if it's true in the workplace, then surely it's true in the local church. And far more so. Because we're not dealing here with just the physical interactions that we enjoy in these other places that we've mentioned. No, we're dealing on a spiritual level one with another. An understanding that God sees the heart, understanding that God knows all things. Then we come to this passage of Scripture tonight, realizing that the writer here is reminding us that we are part of a family, we are part of a body, and what we do individually affects the whole. And so this exhortation doesn't come to one person or another. It doesn't come to a man. It doesn't come to a woman. It doesn't come to a leader. It doesn't come to the average Jew. No, it comes to everybody together. And it says, let us, all who profess the name of Christ, all who identify with a local setting of believers, a local fellowship, who voluntarily come together to fulfill the Great Commission, then we must remember this is our obligation. And this is the reality of how we live for Christ. And so, believer, tonight as we enter into this study, as we have already noted on previous occasions, but let us remind ourselves that what you do, what you say, how you behave, the reasons for your behavior, all have an impact on the fellowship as a whole, for better or for worse. And here we are encouraged to realize this and to ensure that our contribution is positive in every aspect. Let us provoke one another to love. Positive. And so the simple truth expounded here is, remember, you are part of something larger. You are part of something grander than just your own agenda, your own plans, your own dreams, your own ambitions. You are a part of the family of God and have an obligation as being part of the family of God. And can I be bold enough to say this, that this is one truth which is so easily and indeed conveniently forgot today, that there are many who simply sit themselves and plan and seek to fulfill their own agenda without realizing that their actions, their words, their motivations affect the whole and everybody 
is part of what they're involved in. And I believe that that's the sole reason is that we as believers are not living in days of blessing and days of a real outpouring of God's Spirit. And we mourn and lament the days that are past and we say, oh, to get back to those days, but we could have days even greater than that if we were to know what it was. Not only this fellowship, but believers right across this land, right across the globe, if they knew what it was to fulfill their personal responsibilities and obligations from the Word of God, realizing that they impact the whole. The foundation upon which God's blessing is guaranteed is unity. And therefore, it can only be known whenever you and I fulfill our individual responsibilities with a corporate view and with a corporate uh, motivation at our very heart. So that's a simple truth expound it. But there's also a simple thought encouraged. He goes on to say, let us consider one another. And so the simple thought is this, consider one another. As you live your Christian life and as others view you as a believer, one who professes the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, one who has confessed with your mouth the Lord Jesus as Lord and Savior, then you should be one who considers another. You had, you've heard this saying, no doubt, very often. No doubt, perhaps, we've all had it said to us at some stage in our lives, more than likely when we were children or teenagers, but somebody has no doubt rolled up to you and said, you can't see past the end of your own nose. That's just the realization that at our very core, we are all human by nature, and we're all selfish by nature. We see it, of course, in the lives of children more readily than perhaps adults, but in our house, we have kids who want as much as they can get as often as they can get it and as quickly as they can get it. And whenever the treats are being handed out or the Coca-Cola is being poured or the ice cream is being served, they measure up their cups and they measure up their bowls just to make sure everybody gets the same amount. And whenever it's finished, there's always that same question, can I have more? Do you know that whilst that is true, no doubt about every child, I can only speak with authority on my own, but nevertheless, there's a certain element of human nature that never outgrows that. Oh yes, we enter in uh, to other widening relationships in life as we mature and as we develop and as we grow. But at our core, somewhere at our core, we all want something. And a truly selfless person is a rare gem to be found upon this earth. Because it's part of that fallen nature, it's part of that sin nature with which we are all born. But God's word here is uh, the writer of the Hebrews comes to us with this exhortation, this third positive action that should be seen in our lives. If we have that right understanding of what God has done in Christ, if we have that right view of God in our lives and in our worship of him, then God's word reminds us that this ought not to be so. It also helps us know this. It helps us to see that it's easily corrected. Because it begins with a thought. If we find ourselves in a place where all we're thinking about is our own thoughts, our own agenda, our own delights, our own needs, our own wants, our own ambitions, if we find ourselves there, then the Word of God encourages us pause and think about somebody else. Perhaps it's in that moment that we do well to think, I wonder how that person would feel if I said this. 
I wonder how that person would feel if I did that. I wonder how my actions or reactions would be interpreted if I continue this course of action uninterrupted. I wonder what it's like to live their life. I wonder what it's like to carry their burden. I wonder what it's like to face their day. So easy, but yet so hard. But God's Word comes to us tonight and it reminds us that if this right view of God is to be found in our lives, then this is unavoidable. That we must be believers who outwardly, as we live that three-dimensional view of the Christian life, then the outward view, that outward characterization of a close walk with God, a right view of God, a right understanding of what God has done in Christ, is that we think of others. And we think of how our behavior affects others as we live and dwell here together. Turn with me to a number of passages. The temptation is to say much more, but we'll keep it strictly biblical tonight. And so let's come to Romans in the chapter 12. Romans in the chapter 12. Paul's writing to a church fellowship here, the church at Rome. And in chapter 12, it begins that second part of the book, really, where again he has set out Clearly in that first part, what God has done in Christ, he set out a great treatise of salvation, the great doctrine of salvation, and now he's coming from chapter 12 right through to the end of the book to tell and to teach the church at Rome how that should affect their lives and how that should affect their fellowship. In verse 9 he says, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. What's he saying there? Let love be without hypocrisy, really. Don't be hypocritical choosing whom you love and when you love them. God has called us as believers to love one another, even at those times when, quite frankly, we're unlovable. Yet our command, our exhortation is to love one another. Let it not be with hypocrisy. No, let it be constant consistent, Christ-like. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. That is highlighting an actual identifiable choice that we all have to make. There's evil or there's good. We shun the evil, we cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. And so he's saying here, be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love. What is that? Simply be considerate. In honor, preferring one another, that is, think of others before yourself. We sing a chorus with children, do we not? It goes to the tune of Jingle Bells, but it says, J-O-Y, J-O-Y, this is what it means. Jesus first, yourself last, others in between. And that is, of course, the order that we seek to promote and a right uh, teaching of children of how they should interact with others. We teach them to share. We teach them to be kind. We teach them not to say and repeat nasty things one about another and to, of course, love the Lord, respect the Lord, respect His Word, and then to think about themselves. But surely as adult believers, we here too are encouraged in the Word of God, think of others before ourselves. Think of their needs. Think of their hopes, their dreams, their ambitions. Think of their burdens that they carry. Think, of course, of what they 
even are praying for and consider one another. Come to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians in the chapter 5. Again, writing to believers, Paul continues this theme, this consistent theme that he brings to the church and to the churches, really, that he deals with, he labors with, he seeks to influence in a positive way. Let's read together from the verse 13. He says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. And again, he's saying, forsake your own dreams, forsake your own hopes, forsake your own needs, forsake your own agenda, and do that which is for the benefit one of another. Yes, you've been called to liberty. Yes, you are free to choose to do whatever you want, to say whatever you want, and to go wherever you like. But always make your choices against this backdrop that other people are affected by the choice that I make. By love serve one another, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. And oh, the days of, that have been wasted in the Christian life for generations where those have been, those who say and profess the name of Christ but yet are found to be involved in biting and then devouring. But he says, don't do it. Come to chapter 6. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is not, nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. That, I believe, should be found written in a member's charter for every church. Because if we were to fulfill that, we would truly know the blessing of God as we desire. Come to Philippians, Philippians in the chapter 2. Philippians in the chapter 2. Paul writing again to believers. Let's read together from the verse 1. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercy, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, 
who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And really he's exhorting these Philippian believers to do exactly what has been his theme in the book of Romans, the book of Galatians. Love one another, look upon one another with kindness, think upon one another, provoke one another to love. Why? Because remember what Christ has done for you. Remember what Christ has done for me. Remember that this is the one who came as God ordained, but humbled himself. Laid not aside his deity, but did lay aside the free expression of his glory. He who was the beauty, the majesty, and the song of heaven came to earth so that he could redeem sinners like you and me. And if we truly understand that and if we truly get a grasp of that and if God truly gives us a greater understanding of all that he has done in Christ for us, then it will be without a shadow of a doubt that we will be able to think. Think about one another. Not only do you have the simple truth expounded, but we come as well to number three, the simple action evoked. It says here, as he speaks about the positive way that we can contribute to the life of a fellowship, he says, let us consider one another to provoke unto love. Love. This is all, remember, because of an incomparable love. The one who came and gave of his life, now as he sits at the Father's right hand and as the Holy Spirit guides the writer of this book to pen these words to believers. And as God himself has preserved these words down through the ages for you and I tonight, is it too big a request for Christ to say to us, love others as I have loved you? Is it too big a request for Christ to ask that we stop bickering, that we stop gossiping, that we stop backbiting, and that we love one another. The sad truth is that for many Christians, they are successful, no doubt, in provoking other believers. But sadly, only in a negative way. They provoke anger. They provoke jealousy. They provoke strife. They provoke division. They provoke bitterness. And what does all of that lead to in one's own life as well as a corporate fellowship? Coldness of heart, deadness of life, deadness of spirit. But love produces good works. See, the the format even here, the, the process that the writer here highlights, provoke unto love and to good works. You see, whenever a fellowship of believers know what it is truly to love one another, then it can't fail to be a fellowship in which good works are to be found in abundance. 
And good works take many forms, of course. And remember, the Word of God tells us that by our works we shall be known. By the things that we do, we shall be known. But good works in a fellowship take on many different forms. They take on the form of being an encouragement to those who are down, who are walking beside those who have known loss. Acts of love, acts of kindness, generosity, and compassion. Reaching out to the lost that surround the fellowship. Reaching out to those even in far-off lands that know nothing about the fellowship. But nevertheless, good works are found in abundance. And so as we come together as a group of believers tonight, we have to answer this question. Are we provoking one another in a positive way or a negative way? And is our positive provoking of one another producing that abundance of good works that should be known in any fellowship where this is to be found? Do we walk the valleys with those who have known even temptation and trial? Have we drawn alongside even families in our fellowship who this very year have known loss within their family circles? Have we contacted them? Have we written to them? Have we expressed our sympathy and support to them? These are all ways that we provoke one another to love and to good works. And so let us be a fellowship of believers who know what it is individually to draw near to God, who know what it is corporately to hold fast, and to know what it is even evangelistically to provoke one another to love and to good works. And I guarantee you this, that the blessing of God will not be far behind whenever all those three things are found in your life and in mine. And so let us positively respond to these three exhortations. Let us draw near, let us hold fast, and let us consider one another. And then on Sunday, we're going to look at the verse 25 and see where it all culminates. And Sunday's message is going to be with the great emphasis of what a great blessing it is to be part of a local church. And we shouldn't ever want to be anywhere else whenever this local church is open. We should be here, always supporting the meetings of our fellowship because it's the greatest blessing that God gives the individual believer. May God bless us even as we study together and as we continue even these thoughts in his will. Bless us, Lord, as we depart now and go with us to our homes and take us there in safety. And may thy word continue to find that resting place. First in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being here.